Hi, this is Pastor Jeff, and I just want to take a moment to thank you for subscribing to our podcast. Hey, if these resources have been a blessing to you, would you please consider supporting us so we can continue to be here and reach even more people for Christ? Look for the donate link right here on your podcast player. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy today's message. God bless you. Welcome to From His Heart with Pastor Jeff Shreve, who's in his practical series entitled Shine, How to Live the Christian Life in an Unchristian World. Today, we'll learn how God deals with those who believe life is just one long party because there'll come a time to turn out the lights. The party's over. We've been studying in the book of Daniel in a series called Shine, How to Live the Christian Life in an Unchristian World. And we've found that there are four people in the book of Daniel who really shined, four exiles, four young guys, probably 14, 15, when they were taken from Jerusalem in 605 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar, who was king at that time in Babylon, taken from their homeland, taken to the pagan, pagan wicked city of Babylon, And those four guys, Daniel and his three friends, they just lived the Christian life, so to speak, in an unchristian world. They just shined for the Lord. And every chapter we see there is difficulty, but then Daniel comes on the scene, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they come on the scene, and they take a stand for the Lord, and they shine for the Lord. And Daniel chapter 5 is no different. Let me give you a little bit of background. Nebuchadnezzar has passed on. Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4, he, at the end of chapter 4, he becomes a believer in Yahweh. And he puts his faith and trust in Yahweh. I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to meet Nebuchadnezzar because I think Nebuchadnezzar is going to be there. Well, that's chapter 4. Now, years have passed and we hit uh, 539 B.C., And the kingdom, they've had different kings, and nobody's like Nebuchadnezzar. And now you have a king. His name is Nabonidus. He wasn't even a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. He married into the family, and uh, he married probably uh, Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And they have a son together, and that son is named Belshazzar. And Nabonidus is ruling, and Belshazzar is kind of his co-ruler. And you have another nation that has risen up, and they're big and they're bad, and they're hungry, and they're led by Cyrus the Great. They're the Persians. Cyrus the Great founded the Persian Empire, and then uh, he attacked the Medes, and he took over the, the Median Empire, and they became known as the Medes and the Persians. And Cyrus is the, the king over there. And they're coming now against Babylon. Now, the, the king of Babylon, uh, Nabonidus, he goes out to fight Cyrus and the Persians, and he loses, and he's taken captive. And so his son, Belshazzar, who's co-regent with his dad, he, he's there in Babylon, and they just shut up the city. They say, okay, uh, we're just gonna, you, you're not going to be able to get us. We're going to shut up the city. And you remember the city of Babylon was something to behold. 
and the Persians, the Medo-Persian armies led by Cyrus, they're there knocking on the door. This is the last night before Babylon totally falls. And look what it says is going on. Belshazzar, verse 1, the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. Hey, you got the enemies right outside the gate and you're holding a great feast and you're drinking wine and you're partying it up? Yeah. When Belshazzar, verse 2, tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem in order that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. They're having a big drunken party and no doubt there's lots of sexual immorality going on with the wives and concubines there. And then he says, hey, let's get the, the, uh, the holy things that we took from Jerusalem, bring them in here and we'll drink out of them. Verse 3, then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They thumbed their nose up at God. Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Just a hand just comes out of nowhere, this hand, not connected to anything else. It says, then the king's face grew pale and his thoughts alarmed him and his hip joints went slack and his knees began knocking together. Inebriated Belshazzar all of a sudden sobers up. You might want to put in verse 6, buzzkill, right there. It's buzzkill, right there. Because when that happens, all of a sudden, everybody sobers up. And it says in verse 7, The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, Any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me will be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck and have authority as third ruler in the kingdom. Nabonidus is first ruler in the kingdom, although he's now a captive to Cyrus. Belshazzar is second in command, and he said, you'd be third. You'd be part of this uh, little triumvirate of leaders, and you'll be third. And it says in verse 8, then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then the king was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler, and his nobles were perplexed. What was written on the wall? Four words. Meany, meany, tekel, you farson. You say, what does that mean? It means turn out the lights, the party's over. That's what it means. In Willie Nelson terms, in Don Meredith terms, that's what it means. And that's basically what Daniel told them. This is the death of a nation and the death of a proud king. So what does God want to teach us today through the fall of Babylon? See, because what happened here, this is so important, what happened here can happen to an individual, it can happen to a nation, it can happen to America. Three lessons that we're to learn from this passage. There are many things that we could talk about, but three key lessons that came up in my heart, they're lessons of warning. First lesson, be careful that you don't get drunk with pride. Drunk with 
pride. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar is drinking. He's drinking wine. No doubt he's starting to get inebriated, and, and they're having this big uh, party for a thousand of his nobles. And they've excavated this place, and it's a huge banquet hall. And so he has all these people there. And, I mean, if you've ever had a party, uh, I don't imagine very many of us have ever had a party where you've invited a thousand people. That would be a big party. You'd have to have a big place. And he did. He was king, and the wine was flowing, and people were getting intoxicated, and then they they brought in the girls, and no doubt, because when you praise the false gods involved in worship back then of, of the false pagan gods was all kinds of sexual immorality, and so that was going on, and so it was a big drunken orgy, and Belshazzar is drunk with wine, and he's drunk with pride, and he's thinking he's all that in a bag of chips. And he's thinking, hey, I'm in good shape because I have this 350-foot wall and it's 87 feet thick and there's no way. I don't care how uh, many soldiers are outside my gates. They can't get in here and we're in good shape. And he, he says uh, to bring in the, the goblets and the, the uh, vessels that came from the house of uh, Yahweh in Jerusalem and we're going to drink and so he had the audacity to take those holy things those sacred things and begin to toast the gods of wood and, and stone and gold and silver and our God defeated the God of the Jews the God Yahweh and he praised uh, Marduk the God of Babylon and that's when the hand came out he was so filled with pride Hey, no one's bulletproof. The Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, no Christian is bulletproof. God holds you in his hand. And so you're not bulletproof. Nobody's bulletproof. Now, let me tell you the story here. It says that uh, his queen... His, actually, the queen mother, uh, Belshazzar's mother, she comes in because Belshazzar's freaking out. Here's Buzzkill. He's all, and man, he's wide awake. I don't need any coffee now. I'm scared to death. My knees are knocking. And my uh, Babylonian brain trust, those guys, the conjurers and the soothsayers and the Chaldeans, every time they come on the scene, they're goose egg. They have nothing. They can't interpret jack squat. And so the, he calls those guys in, and they're like, well, you don't know what it means. It's like, no, duh. You don't know anything. It, it's God's way of saying, hey, the wisdom of this world is foolishness. And so he doesn't know what to do. His mom comes in, and she said to, says to him, hey, there's a guy in the kingdom that your father, actually your grandfather, they don't have a word for father, so they just call him your father, but he was his grandfather. Your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, he called on him a lot. His name is Daniel. And in Daniel, there's a spirit of the holy gods, and you need to call on Daniel because Daniel can interpret all sorts of stuff. There's nothing that gets past Daniel. So verse 13, he brings in Daniel. Then Daniel was brought to him, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the exiles from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? Now I have heard about you, that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom have been found in you. Just now the wise men and the conjurers brought in before me, that they might read this inscription and make its interpretation known to me. Ah, but they could not declare the interpretation of the message. What a shock. 
But I personally have heard about you that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read the inscription and make this interpretation known to me, you will be clothed with purple and wear a necklace of gold around your neck, and you will have authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. I love Daniel. I love what he has to say. See, Daniel had respect for Nebuchadnezzar. He has no respect for Belshazzar. Verse 17. Then the king, Daniel, answered and said to the king, Keep your gifts for yourself or give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. And he gives him a history lesson. O king, the most high God granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. And because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the people's nations and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whomever he wished, he killed. And whomever he wished, he spared alive. And whomever he wished, he elevated. And whomever he wished, he humbled. He didn't take orders from anybody. He was the supreme dictator. And he says in verse 20, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was deposed from his royal throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind and his heart was made like that of beasts and his dwelling place was with the wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he recognized that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and that he sets over it whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this, but you've exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before you and your nobles and your wives and your concubines. You've been drinking wine from them and you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life breath and your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was sent out. Oh, Belshazzar, you're so filled with rotten pride, and you learn nothing about the story of your grandfather. You think you're bulletproof, but nobody's bulletproof because God holds you in his hand. Your very life breath is in his hand. Will a man mock God? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And he tried to mock God, and he ended up broken. Listen, no one is able to go up against God. People get so proud. They think they're so tough. They think they're so indestructible. Hey, there's an old saying that says, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. You shake your puny little fist in the face of God. You call God out. You say, in effect, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? You take his holy things and you begin drinking and toasting the gods of gold and silver, of wood and stone. Bam! The handwriting comes out. God says, I'm not going to be mocked. You've crossed the line, pal. God has patience, but his patience doesn't last forever. And that's when the handwriting came. Be careful that you don't get drunk with pride. And think you're impregnable 
and think that you can handle it and think because of your money and your resources and your intellect and all that stuff. Hey, your intellect, all that comes from God. Nebuchadnezzar found that out. It all comes from God. He was a great leader, but God can just flip the switch and he can lose his mind that fast. So be careful that you don't get drunk with wine, Second, with pride. Secondly, be careful that you don't blow off the warnings from God. Now, I love this. When Daniel talks to Belshazzar and he gives him the history lesson about Nebuchadnezzar, he says to him, you knew this. And see, we don't, we don't have all the backstory like God does. And so here's the thing, interesting, when Babylon came and destroyed Jerusalem, this is what the Scripture says. It says in Second Chronicles chapter 36, And the Lord, Yahweh, the God of their fathers, sent word to them, to Judah, again and again by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. God is patient. But his patience doesn't last forever. And if you keep blowing off his warnings, finally judgment comes. The wrath of the Lord arose against his people until there was no remedy. You've got to get right with God while there's time. Call on the Lord while he may be found. Seek him while he's near because there's coming a time where he won't be found and he won't be near. So that's the second lesson. Be careful that you don't blow off the warnings from God. And lesson number three, be careful that you don't miss your ultimate purpose in life. I love verse 23. Let's look at it again. He says to Belshazzar, but you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand are your life, breath, and your ways, you have not glorified. Isaiah 43, verse 7 says, All who claim me as their God will come, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Why did you create me, God? For my glory. For my glory. For my honor. For my fame. For the glory of my name. That's why I created you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 says, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Philippians chapter 2 says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be children of God among a crooked and perverse generation among whom we appear as lights in the world. That's what we're supposed to be. Shine the light for the Lord. To live for his glory. To let our light so shine among men that they may, people may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. He said, you're, you're in God's hand, pal. You're not protected by walls. You're not protected by gates. You're protected by the grace of God. And you're thumbing your nose up at God. And you have not glorified God. And so God is getting ready to crush you. He made you for his glory. And you're not doing what you were made to do. You say, well, Jeff, how, do, how does a person glorify God? 
Well, you glorify God when you see your need and you come to him. That's what Nebuchadnezzar finally did. He saw his need and he came to Yahweh in brokenness, in humility, in repentance, and in faith. That's, that's the only way that you can ever glorify God is you see your need for him and you come to him. Here's the thing that we need to realize. All of us, every single one of us, are deficient morally before God. And without him, he puts us on the scale. We don't measure up. And here's the thing in our country. We think that we're so good and that God is lucky to have us. Adrian Rogers used to say, the average person in America is strutting his way to hell, thinking he's too good to be damned. That's the mindset of so many people. I'm a good person. But you're not, and I'm not, and nobody is, and all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And when you get on God's scale and God puts his righteousness on one side and puts you on the other, you know what? You're a moral lightweight. You don't balance out. Jesus is the only one who can save, who can forgive, who can cleanse. You receive Christ and all of a sudden you go from a bad egg to a good egg because you're clothed and robed in the righteousness of God. The Bible says you think you can get to heaven by your good works for all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. We're deficient before him. And all of us without Jesus face eternal judgment. It's interesting. He gives the story and the score to Belshazzar. The last word he tells him is uh, verse 28, Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Different from what was written on the wall because what was written on the wall was Eupharsin. And people have said, well, it's Eupharsin, but then he says, Perez, your kingdom has been divided. Why is that? I love what one commentator said. He said, one is future tense, Eupharsin, and one is past tense, Perez. And when the writing came on the wall, the uh, Persians were not yet into the city. But some hours have passed, and now they've already gotten in. And Daniel is so smart, and he's so in tune with God, that God tells him, this has already taken place. It's a done deal. So you write Perez, which is the past tense, and that's why he says your kingdom has been divided, and it's already given over to the Medes and Persians. And so what does Belshazzar do? Well, he rewards Daniel for telling him what the inscription meant. You know what he should have done? He should have repented, but he didn't do it. Hey, I think even though God had said, turn out the lights, the party's over, if he had gotten down on his knees and on his face and cried out to God for mercy, God would have had mercy on him, but he didn't do it. And it says in verse 30, that same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. Hey, everybody faces eternal judgment without him. And I believe that the Lord is saying, how I long to gather you to myself like a hen would gather her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want to come to me. You didn't want my will. You didn't want my ways. You didn't want my word. So not my will, God says, but yours be done. What is it like when you stand before God and you are cast into hell? I believe the Lord says with tears in his eyes, not my will, but yours be done. I died for you. I did everything I could to, uh, to get you to come to me, but you were unwilling 
and you said no, and there's no remedy left for you. All that's left for you is judgment and destruction. God does not want that to happen. He does not want that to happen to any life. He does not want that to happen to this land. Listen, as I told you last week, Christians are the ones who hold the key, and we need to get right, and we need to stand in the gap for this land because the handwriting is getting ready to hit the wall. God's people can make the difference. My friend, are you a soldier in the Lord's army? Have you ever received Christ as Savior and Lord? If not, today is the day for you. Just pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I know that I'm a sinner and I'm lost and I can't save myself. But Jesus, I believe you are God in the flesh. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the dead. And right now, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me of all my sins, make me the person you want me to be. I surrender my all to you. My friend, if you'll pray that kind of prayer and mean it, the Lord will come in and your life will never be the same. I'd love to hear from you, to know that you're watching, to know that this program is making a difference in your life, to know that you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Please take the time to call that toll-free number, write me, email me, let me know what's going on and how we can pray for you. You really are important to God, and you're important to us, and we're here for you. Today's message, Turn Out the Lights, The Party's Over, is from Pastor Jeff Shreve's six-message series, Shine, How to Live the Christian Life in an Unchristian World. The lesson is available in multiple formats when you call 877-777-6171 or go online to fromhisheart.org. Do you feel like you're living in a world of temptation and spiritual darkness? Have you felt the pressure to cave on your Christian convictions so you can fit in at work or at school or maybe even at home? Hey, is it possible to shine for Jesus in the day and age in which we live? The answer is yes. The Bible tells us about a man named Daniel who was kidnapped from his homeland in Jerusalem and taken to a faraway place called Babylon, a place of spiritual darkness, a place that where there was great pressure to conform and compromise. But rather than give in, Daniel was one who stood strong for the Lord and he let his light shine and God blessed him for it. Now to help you shine, I'd like you to get my practical series on the book of Daniel titled Shine, How to Live the Christian Life in an Unchristian World. I trust you'll be blessed as you put the truths of this teaching into everyday practice. I hope you'll get your copy today. God bless you. To get Pastor Jeff's inspiring and challenging six-message series, Shine, plus his encouraging booklet, In the Face of Discouragement, make your gift of any amount this month to From His Heart when you call 877-777-6171 or go online to fromhisheart.org and learn how to live the Christian life in an unchristian world. And thank you for supporting From His Heart. From His Heart is the viewer-supported broadcast ministry of Dr. Jeff Shreve, who believes that no matter how badly you may have messed up in life, God still loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You can find out more about that plan at from his heart.org. Real truth, real